29. You know I can't count that high. 20 is, I, I got. I don't have I, enough toes for that. I know. I was really hoping one day. One day. There's still tomorrow. You told anyway. me you getting new prosthetics. This is true. This is true. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blaze podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, especially Doc tonight, uh, as you heard our little counting thing. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Matthew Quinn, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. So, Matt, what can you tell? Uh, wait a minute. Do you prefer Matthew or Matt? Well, let's go with Matthew for now. That's my um, author name, Matthew W. Quinn. All right, Matthew it is. So can you tell uh, the listeners and viewers who might not have listened to your first episode, oh, season two, uh, early season two even, can you tell them, let's see, that was hundred episode 180, I think, Doc? I think it was 180. Oh, sorry, 100, exactly. Something like that. It was early. We're at 246, I think. So we're getting up there. So it's been a while. So can you reintroduce yourself? Hey, everybody. I'm author Matthew W. Quinn, taking you back to the old school. Um, <laughs> too old school. Um, I'm previously have written my previous appearance was about um, my novels, The Thing in the Woods and its sequel, The Atlanta Incursion. But now I'm here for a completely different series. I just uh, keep putting them out there. That's awesome. I got to do line one up, put the other one down. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. And so like before, uh, one of our guests recommended or one of our listeners recommended uh, Matthew to us. And so we reached out the first time. So when he had a new book out in his steampunk series, uh, and said, hey, let's come back and talk. I said, you know, that could be fun. And steampunk is fun. Um, I, I used to tell you before I read a few of them that steampunk was an aesthetic, not a book genre. Uh, and then I've read some that made me change my mind. So there you go. Why are you looking at me like that, Doc? I'm just impressed you had a mind. I mean, I like I said, I have my moments. Just don't don't tax it. It'll, it'll start smoking. Okay. So, Matthew, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Uh, if you count the um, stuff I spent time getting in Facebook discussions about, Star Wars, probably. <laughs> well, it's however you want to count it. So, now, how many of them did you cry in? Uh, none of them. Okay. You're actually, like, a hardcore Star Wars fan. So, how about... Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Conan the Barbarian? Well, in terms of what it actually... Well, I watched a lot of Game of Thrones. I read some of the books. Read a lot of Conan the Barbarian stuff just because so many people did Conan. There was um, Robert Howard, then he died, and then Robert Jordan did a bunch. I saw the Arnold movie and the Jason Momoa Conan, which I actually thought was better. Apparently, I was one of the only people in the world to think that based on box office numbers. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good one. But I also am a sucker for Momoa, so. Well, it's more faithful to the to the um, Howard mythology. Conan was not a big blonde guy. He was skinny and dark-haired. He also could speak English. I mean, Arnold speaks English-ish. English light? Quasi? He speaks English well enough that he got elected in California. 
I mean, I've yeah. seen who we put in office from all parties. I don't know that that's necessarily bragging rights about anything. Fair. But anyway, so what was your first memory then engaging in speculative fiction as a genre? Was it, you know, was it you know, your first time did you find it on a book, a movie? Like, how did you discover? Well, very going back very far. You ever read Calvin and Hobbes? I have. Mm-hmm. And good old Calvin and Hobbes, rest in peace. Um, well, probably the Spaceman Spiff segments okay. of Calvin and Hobbes because that's sci-fi, you know, really kind of pulpy. Cheesy it is very pulpy. It counts. So, would you say sci-fi was your first love, then? Stealing my questions as usual, Doc. It's probably. in green! Because if I said horror last time, that probably ties in with the Crestwood Monsters books from the <laughs> 80s. Siska's laughing. Sounds like she remembers those. But that was, elementary. that was elementary school. Kelvin and Hobbes, was, I might not have even been able to read, and read at that point. Good old dad in the newspaper comics. So how did you, de- uh, so what is it about the larger umbrella that is speculative fiction that you love so much? And you just, just let your imagination go. Okay. So Anything just the unlimited possibilities. So, okay. So how did that transition from, I'm going to read all the things, stop making faces at me, doc. I'm going to read all the things to, you know what? I want to write my own stories in this space. How did that happen for you? Well, I do remember writing my own Calvin and Hobbes comics, I guess, fanficking at age five or six. That's awesome. Let's see if let's see if Bill Watterson's on Twitter. Maybe I can tweet this at him. Okay, you should. So many authors are going to let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So do you think there were any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Uh can't think of any like significant like you know this will change the course of your life kind of things but the series we're going to discuss today exists because my dad had collected a lot of the Stephen King books and they were new and I was in high school he let me re- start reading them or at least maybe or at the very least I read the gunslinger when I was in high school because I remember that was the very earliest versions of the battle for the wasteland story first appeared okay now, Doc, you get to ask your favoriteest of all time questions. So, have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your characters yet? Um, from the Battle for the Wastelands world, no, I haven't. But um, uh, Daniel Dennerline, who writes under the name T.S. Dan, I might have mentioned him last time, did some art for The Thing in the Woods. Nice. So, um, excuse me. Has anyone asked you for your autograph yet? Uh, no. Um, typically, when I go to um, events, I try and get other people to pay me for my autograph. It's called signing books. <laughs> so, have you signed any though? Oh, many. I probably I make a lot more money from selling books at events than I do on Amazon. Wow. Okay. So you need to go out oh. more events, and COVID must have really hurt. So, what is your craziest fan interaction story? Um, I don't have a really crazy one, but I was at a comic convention in Atlanta and there was this one guy who had been in the military in the eighties. I was trying I think I was trying to sell a war game might help kickstart. And I got two copies of the game, which I don't really play tabletop games. So I was just trying to resell it. And he'd, he'd been in the army in the eighties and 
they're talking about Soviet nuclear strategy. Oh, wow. Just would not leave. It's kept going on and on. And I didn't really have the heart to tell him to go away. There aren't many people who will even pretend to understand that topic. Well, I think it was the idea of this, this. The only way the Soviets could win is they took the air bases real fast because then the planes and the air bases then start dropping nukes on them. Well, yeah. So and the, he seemed to think the strategy really hadn't changed all that much from the 50s to the 80s. Well, I mean, there are still people in the army, or at least when I was in, so they may still be retiring finally, who still think that, you know, we're in like the pre-females allow women allowed in the armed services era. So, I mean, some people don't adjust. Okay. Um, so have you ever spotted anybody out in public actually reading your books? And one of my students was reading it because I... Ever, my old school I teach at, and my new school I teach at, I made sure the library had copies. Nice! And so one of my students was reading it. and They know that it was you? I think they did. Okay. That's part of my Meet Mr. Quinn PowerPoint is, I'm a published author, read my books. Which for Thing in the Woods, because that's YA, that's no problem. And frankly, I'd be a bit embarrassed if they read Battle for the Wastelands, especially Serpent Sword the new book, and they'd better not be reading Little People, Big Guns. I feel like any high school student who hears that is not going to go buy it just because they were told not to. The, and not only ebook, they're going to buy a paperback just so they can show up reading it in your class in front of you. I would have done that. I as mean... Long as they're not doing it in my school, I don't care. <laughs> fair. <laughs> fair. Fair, fair. Okay. I, mean, I might have actually deliberately selected titles for their shock value at one point when I was in high school. I mean, I was in the fourth grade reading Stephen King just because they told me it was inappropriate. Yeah, I was reading Guilty Pleasures as a junior in high school, showing and reading it so that people could see what the title was. Well, I was I in middle school. Was. I was reading Dean Koontz's Watchers, and some punk jacked it and showed it to my one of my teachers. It was the wedding night scene. Uh oh. And I got the look. <laughs> Not the look. I got that look a lot. It wasn't always about my reading. Mostly they wanted me to stop talking. And one of my, and a few years ago, my old school, some of my AP kids are reading it. Okay. And like, Mr. Quinn, there's this scene and they're like, Steve, I knew what scene they're talking about. So I'm like, kids, Stephen King was on a lot of drugs and he wrote that. Oh, <laughs> you crushed the poor babies. Good job. <laughs> who else? Why? Who else could think that that the sewer sequence was a good idea, and then who signed would have signed off on it, then signed off on it? So I think everybody was doing to quote Gary Busey all the cocaine. I mean, I nose that. candy is a thing, and I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Is all I'm going to say. Because I would would not want to talk about that with a bunch of um, high schoolers. That'd just be too awkward. No. I just don't want to talk to high schoolers at all. So I feel you. There is that. So, so this is the part where we ask you, Mr. Matthew Quinn, about everything you've written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Okay. So the what we're discussing today, Battle for the Wastelands, is actually my first written full novel that isn't a long enough fanfic. Um, I think I believe I finished it sometime in 2012. 
Although um, I spent a lot of time shopping it around. And at the point, Bain Books rejected it. But um, Gray Reinhardt was so kind as to give me all the editing notes. Aww. Which I then used for the last editing pass before I um, self-published it. This is the end of 2019. So the thing in the woods, which we went over last time I was on, I was writing probably after I'd finished Battle for the Wastelands while I was shopping it around. I guess, you know, the first thing you do after you finish a book is start writing a new one. Okay. I wouldn't so, say he was. He's um, still alive. No, Reinhardt. Yeah, Gray Reinhardt from Bain. The oh yeah, no, sorry, I was getting him confused with some somebody else. But yes, he is a very nice man, and I'm <laughs> sure anybody who knows me will be teasing me mercilessly at uh, Liberty Con for that one. I mean, we would they would do that anyway. They don't really need a reason, Doc. So you know as long as they're listening to the podcast, sure, go ahead. Absolutely. So we're going to pause a little bit early because we got through the getting to know him scene. So hopefully we spend a little bit more time on the, the book stuff because that's the, the important part. But in the meantime, we're going to pause for a moment a little early while we shamelessly shill for the man. And it's a man this time, Doc. So I'm right. If they picked a fight with the wrong species, a nation at war, the United Stars of America, born in the conflagration of an unprovoked alien attack, the newest entrant galactic politics took the few crumbs of hypertech gifted to it and ran with them soon expanding over dozens of star systems and establishing a wide trade network protected by its powerful navy and the dreaded warp marines in a fight to the death a single marine platoon tasked with protecting an embassy on a hostile alien planet an embassy and the fragile human enclave around it that soon finds itself surrounded by armed mobs. Can the Marines at a ragtag band of civilian and Navy personnel survive long enough to be rescued? And if you want to know if they can survive long enough, buy the book and give it a shot. Link is in the show notes. And uh, can you recognize the voice of the narrator for the commercial? Doc, stop eating the pencil. No. That fight is not your friend. So that was Nicole narrating it. He did it as a favor. But uh, anyway, thank you for sticking around for that uh, commercial interlude. Wait, so Nicole did something? <laughs> did that? Yeah, Nicole was the narrator for the commercial. So let's but talk about... sound like he smoked six packs of cigarettes like Nicole normally sounds like. That's just because he does weird things with his voice on purpose. Um, it's a California thing. Don't ask questions. Just just go with it. Don't, so let's don't talk ask questions, but do tell what? Something like that. So let's talk about the uh, book that brought us here. So The Battle of the Wastelands, which is a steampunk military fantasy. This is the first book in a series by the same name. So, Matthew, where did you get the premise for The uh, the Battle of the Wastelands? Was it Psychedelics, Ouija Board, uh, One Too Many Nights, Huff and the uh, Whiteout while you were grading papers? Uh, this goes all the way back to I was in high school. My dad had a lot of, of older Stephen King books, like the like It with the monster lizard fingers in the sewer drain, or Pet Cemetery with the evil cat on the cover. And he had the one of the early editions of The Gunslinger with the Michael Whelan illustrations. I love his okay. stuff. Yeah, and so when I got to high school, he let me read them. 
And so I can't remember when this precisely was. I had the earliest I can recall Battle for the Wastelands was going to the funeral of my church basketball coach. And I, so I was probably in very early high school. Okay. I don't, we don't get a lot of authors who wrote their first story that young and actually published it. Well, it's changed a lot since then. Looking back on the early version of it now, it's like a 1980s fantasy book. Okay. Pronounceable names. And Lots they didn't have, and guns are, were much rarer in, in the world that, then. Like it sort of over the years kind of mutated into a full on weird West steampunk. Okay. So before we get started, I got two questions for you. One, uh, what is the age range of the story? You mentioned you didn't want your kids to read it, your students. So what would you say the preferred age range of an audience is for this? Um, probably high school and up. You know, I'm mostly talking about my students reading. I just don't want to deal with it. Oh, if fair. I'm a parent, this would probably be fine for high school and up. Okay. And you mentioned that as the story progressed from the original version, it became steampunk. So what is it that draws you to the steampunk genre? Because it is very niche. I'm not really sure. I mean, it might have been at the time steampunk was a big deal. Because if I'd self-published it a few years earlier, it probably, I mean, it wouldn't probably would not have been as good a book, but it might have sold more copies. Because steampunk is kind of on the way out. I thought self-published it, I could make money you know you know squeeze blood from a stone a little bit you know the fan base may be smaller but i'm self-publishing it so i don't have the overhead of a big press mm-hmm. eh, kind of social media advertisers gotten really pay to pay, pay to play so i yes, think it I, has. I think my latest book barbarian thing has netted me four dollars profit because Book Barbarian for fantasy is now 40 bucks. I don't know what Book Barbarian is. Newsletter service. Ah. So uh, I just want you to know as a financial advisor, but not your financial advisor, don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> Probably good Doc's idea. not laughing at the advice. He's laughing at the idea that I manage anything money-wise with math. No, 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 no. Diversify, no. diversify. It's not that you manage anything with money. It's that you manage anything with numbers. See, normally so I would make the joke, but not numerate. Yeah, <laughs> normally I'd make the joke. Don't blame me. I went to public school math, but you teach at the public school, so I figure that might be insulting. So we won't do that today. That'd be nice. <laughs> He's right, so Doc. motivated to defend. The <laughs> he has to put up a token effort. It's his like union responsibility or something. Oh, well, I teach at a STEM magnet school, so we have a giant cyborg yellow jacket as our mascot. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's like so that. cool. I'm such a dork. Me yeah, too. I the I idea is to cool. organize a pipeline of kids to Georgia Tech. Maybe. I mean, there are. Doc's a fan of. Doc's a fan of Georgia what? Tech. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. That would be yeah. my mother and my brother. Yeah. Hey, my dad's siblings, except for okay. except for him, obviously, went to Georgia Tech. He went to UGA. We so. make lots of jokes about how my aunt went to UGA and it took her 20 years to graduate. She was an art major. Mm. So be nice. Play nice. Question 20. She was my favorite aunt. Okay. You get a pass oh. this time. Yes. So thank you. 
But now we're getting into your book. So let's put up the cover so that we can see this beautiful image. JR said he thinks it's sexy, but in the pre-show, he said that he dreams about the horse. Oh my. Has he been, has he been watching Equus? <laughs> you waited until I was on mute, so I had to switch screens because I'm showing the dang picture, so I couldn't defend myself. That's sneaky, Doc, and I appreciate your level of snark. JR, you say that like you can defend yourself under normal conditions. No, no, it's the airship. It's all about the Zeppelin. Yeah, I, guy are I those know online, or are they dirigibles? The, 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 uh, they pro I always call them in the narrative dirigibles because Zeppelin is actually named after a person who in this world may or may not exist. Fair. I love the word dirigibles, so I think this is amazing. It is a good word. I, I should use it more often. I'll find ways to put it in everyday speak. JR, they're going to send you back to the hospital thinking you have a new concussion. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right, ask the next question. Stop mocking me. But that's like breathing. So what is the 30-second elevator pitch for this story? The Dark Tower meets Game of Thrones. Ooh. And you were under time. I like it. Nice. Well, I sold a I sold a, a copy at the um uh that war, that horror Days of the Dead, the horror convention that's every February in Atlanta. Yeah. Even though this is not really horror, I mean it's grotesque in terms of how violent it is. Yeah. But it's not horror in the sense of, you know, dead guys with hatchets. No, but that would definitely work for that population. Yeah, so so getting into the book, um, what is it that makes, because this is a series, right? Yeah, the right now the series consists of Battle for the Wastelands. That's the first book. There's a prequel novella called Son of Grendel. Back when I was okay. writing e-novellas were all the thing. Like James R. Tuck and Delilah S. Dawson, who are some writers I know, mm -hmm. they wrote novellas that were published by their publishers' ebook um, companion pieces, their main series. Mm -hmm. So I wrote Son of Grendel. Soon okay. After done Battle for the Wastelands. And the newest one is Serpent Sword. That came out in late March, in early March of 2023. Awesome. So do you have plans to do more than the three titles? Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I The main sequence story is nine, but I could cut it off at six if necessary. So... What is it that makes this a unique series in the kind of Western steampunk vibe? Well, it's fantasy. It's secondary world fantasy. But there isn't magic. Okay. Um, it's steampunk, but it's not set in alternate history or anything resembling our world. So that's kind of cool. And it's got like, the Game of Thrones political intrigue. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the but you know the firepower level of somewhere late civil war to early world war 1. Okay. But with dirigibles. Use for awesome. Yeah, close air support dirigibles. You're not going to live very long, but you will raise a lot of hell before you go down. Nice. In my writing group, they kept putting in the comments tab when I ran the chapters through whenever they thought something was too hazardous, oh the humanity <laughs> did you put that one line in there somewhere just because 
Please tell me uh, yes. Not quite. I don't want to be make it too in-jokey because I want to keep it very vague as to why they're in this post-apocalyptic world. Like in the Dark Tower is always the world moved on, but they're mm-hmm. fighting over very recognizable technological relics. Like I think the wizard and the glass, like they're fighting to defend like the last ga- Sitgo gas station. Okay. Because the warlord, John Farson, who's really Randall Flagg, from the stand, you know, the whole multiverse thing wants the gasoline for his war machines. So I never really explained what happened. My original idea would this be something like getting nuked back to about 1880, like heavier than air flight is something they know they can do. There's no, they can't do it anymore. Okay. So, but now I'm, there's this things are getting so weird that I think it might be more like riffs, you know, some sort of trans dimensional thing. But it wouldn't be in jokey to say, oh, the humanity in there only because it ties back to the news report when the uh, when the famous crash in, what, 37? So you could still get away with it. People who know history and dirigibles would know what that is from. How many people really study the history of dirigibles, JR? I mean, cool people, clearly. Well, the Obviously, people crowd. you know, and that makes them not cool. Look, all right, just because I know who Herb Morrison is and about the Hindenburg disaster, was it 36 or 37, that doesn't mean I'm a nerd. Other things do, but not that. You are a disaster. Just don't <laughs> ask me to remember anything that happened today. And did you guys want to ask me about how how the cover came to be? Yes, we do, because that. that is definitely on the agenda. Okay. Look at by Matthew 20, getting by, us by back on track. By the fall of 2018, I was giving serious thought to self-publishing it. And when you're self-publishing, you have to do everything. So I went, so I my artwork you can find on my DeviantArt page, Ridley100.deviantart.com. Yes, I named myself after the evil pterodactyl from Metroid. Um, That's kind of cool. Um, is we're talking like refrigerator level. So okay. I went to Dragon Con 2018 and met an artist named Matt Cowdery. He was originally I think from California or somewhere on the West Coast, did a lot of gaming art. So a friend of mine is real smart, Alec. He said, wow, it looks like a 90s magic card. So thinks me, is that a bad thing? No, it's not. They had some yeah. good artwork. Yeah, so I'm thinking good. my role in all this is art director because I give you know the artist, which has usually been Matt Cowdery, because I've hired him for all my self-published stuff, The Thing in the Woods and its sequels and Battle of the Wastelands and its sequels. Um, so I sort of give him a general idea and he sketches it out and then I approve or disapprove and then pay half and then he finishes and I pay the other half. Nice. And so he's done Battle for the Wastelands, Son of Grendel and Serpent Sword for this series. Okay. They're good covers. I like them. Hey, Doc, do you know what time yeah. it is? Time for your opinions to not matter. I mean, for you, that's oh, it's trope delicious time. So, what tropes do you use in this book? Okay, um, are we going to invoke the mighty TV tropes? Whatever Only- you feel. Okay, genre savvy, because okay. Grendel, first Lord of the Northlands, is not just that he's a tough fighter, although he very much is. It's not just that he looks scary. He basically looks like the Kurgan in his medieval mode from Highlander, only he carries around an M16. Nice. It's that he's very manipulative and clever. So he knows 
the evil, evil overlord list and how not to violate it. Hence the Game of Thrones stuff. He's not going to be stupid evil. Okay. But in terms of playing tropes straight, there's doomed hometown. That's, I mean, you read the back of the cover art, you know Carroll Town will burn. Okay. Yeah, I have in my file somewhere um, TV tropes. If, if, if I were to make a TV tropes page for this or someone else would for me, hand mm -hmm. someone do it. I have a list of them ready to go along with examples. The teacher's giving you a homework assignment. And JR was really bad. He never did his homework, and I just didn't and never turned it in. What are you talking about? I was the school nerd. Like, I got all the grades. Except for right. CD class. No, I got good grades. I wrestled in high school. What are you talking about? I was on well, the if he wrestled team. in high school, he probably did make good grades, because when I had issues with wrestler kids, their coaches would whip them into shape real fast. We had what they call red flag days where they just locked the doors, turned up the heat, and we were supposed to make the walls sweat. We I did not want red flag basic days. Training so, did you have to make weight that bad? No, I was wrestling heavyweight at the time. I was a, a larger. I lost a lot of weight so I could go into the Army. And so I was the guy on weigh-in who would taunt the, the, lower, the lower weight guys uh, as I would eat before they weighed in because it didn't matter. But, but then on away trips, they would get really violent with me for some reason because I ate in front of them while they're starving for weigh-ins. Apparently, that is not how you win friends and influence people. Who knew? No, Look at JR. So. Getting so, his ass kicked for no reason at all. It was fun. Reason enough. And you learn a lot of important life lessons on, um, on wrestling mats. So, I'm I mean, not going to go there. I, I wasn't going where you thought it was, apparently, but instead we're going to ask you, uh, Matthew, what, what genres, genres? What, what subgenres do you think this is? And this is clearly fantasy. It's clearly steampunk, but did it fit into any other genres or subgenres? Um, well, I had to call Amazon to make sure it was put in the military fantasy category because that's one of those subcategories that you have to ask for. I would call it dark fantasy or epic fantasy. Okay. Because just because they have rifles and dirigibles as opposed to swords and magic doesn't mean it's not epic fantasy in terms of the scope of it. Well, yeah, I mean, Shadow and Bones is a great example of a non of gas lamp fantasy in that it's early period where gas lamps and rifles are still around and not just swords. Oh, yeah, good old Shadow and Bone. That's the only TV show I watch, although I watched the first episode of season two and haven't had the chance to get more into it. I have been so busy. I haven't gotten to see it, and it makes me want to cry. I have watched the first it. two seasons. It was amazing. It made me want to read There are only two seasons! There will be more. I have faith. All there right? better be more. Anyway, so let's talk about the story itself. What can you tell us about the main character? Okay, so the protagonist is uh, Andrew Sutter. He's about 20. He lives in a small town on the edge of the Iron Desert. Um, and he's a hunter. So I think you can tell what psychology articles I've been reading when you read each book because there's an article I read probably when I was writing this that said ADHD or ADD is not a disorder. It's actually a personality type. <laughs> so you know the, the terminology was hunter versus farmer. 
CJR, I'm a personality type. <laughs> the slightest movement can get your attention. That might be useful for a hunter. Of course, being able to sit, you, as a hunter, you might also have to sit still for forever, and that could be more difficult. So um, it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. But just got into a psychology article. That doesn't mean it's remotely realistic. I'm sure we've all heard of the phrase, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing before. Um, I mean, I've met a few of those lieutenants. Best mug for a doctor. Please don't excuse your Google search for my medical degree. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of drop some hints here and there that, you know, like the, like the, the smallest thing can get his attention and he references that, you know, he didn't always enjoy reading much to his teacher's annoyance. And okay. so the point, the point is he's coming back from hunting in the beginning of the book to find um, the local, the tax collector for the flesh eating legion, which is an army of cannibals, you know, ex trying to extort money from the town that doesn't have any and things just go badly from there. That's about the first, that's the first two chapters of the book. The first chapter is the hunting sequence. The second sequence is the tax riot. And by chapter four, the Carrolltown militia is getting slapped around by the flesh eaters and things just get worse from there. I mean, you had me at tax riot. So I know, Doc, we got to move on. You can't let me talk about those things. Um, so were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable? Well, most people seem to really like Grendel, first lord of the Northlands. Like thought, the Northlands is the whole part of this world between the two seas, the Arctic right. and the desert. And so imagine the guy who's personality is Qin Shi Huangdi, the first emperor of China, or Tywin Lannister, who looks like the Kurgan from Highlander and carries an M16. I mean, he could have better taste in weapons, but I get the picture and I like it. So were there any other secondary characters that you were really digging? Okay, well, there's Falky Grendelson, Grendel's oldest son. He's the protagonist of Son of Grendel. What, what can you tell us about him? Well, uh, as um, a killing machine who's also very germaphobic. That is a unique combination. So I and guess he's got to stay far enough away that blood splatter doesn't get him. Well, that's his backstory is that his mother and his younger full brother both died of cholera. He nearly died and didn't. So in Son of Grendel, there's a scene where he catches one of his soldiers filling his canteen straight from the river. And he about has a, an episode. I mean, that could be dangerous. I watched a guy drink from the Tigris River and it was, it ended badly. Yeah, sounds about doable. So but at the same time, he also has a bit of a temper. And the, and the, when everything is a nail, you what's that expression? Everything is a hammer. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. So, you know, so the book copy for Son of Grendel referencing references how defeating this group of insurgents might lead him falling to his own demons. Okay. So, he so you could argue has a sympathetic backstory, but he is a real ass. Okay, that's a fair point. So what about the bad guys? Is it the uh, flesh eaters or there is there a specific bad guy in this world? The is flesh it flesh eaters are subordinate world? to Grendel. He's the the 
warlord of a patchwork of lesser warlords. And the flesh eaters report to him. Okay. Do you think the world being so inhospitable is also almost like a bad guy? Uh, probably. I mean, I'm trying to work on some, you know, building out the wider world from just the kind of West Texas E area that the main story takes place in because we're eventually going to leave that area and travel to different places. Okay. So the, um, for the bad guys, is this going to evolve as the series goes on or is it going to be a, an overarching thing where they're fighting that through the whole arc? Um, a bit of both because Grendel has defeated his last major enemy four years prior four or five and now the various warlords now kind of starting to bicker with each other you know that's what's the expression it's you can conquer an empire on horseback you can't rule it so his strategy is turning into find a outside enemy to fight against and i can get some of my more troublesome subordinates killed in the process i guess hit up the tv tropes uriah gambit <laughs> okay Okay. All right, Doc. And that's going to cover like not just the Northlands, but the region south of the Iron Desert as well. Do you have an overall map that you've created of this land that you're um, using? A real crappy one I drew myself. That's in uh, the premium content of my Substack. Okay. Yep. Incarnate is a good one. Uh, and we know people who can take those maps and make them for you. We interviewed her. Uh, she's really Kate, nice. Kate, some uh, Kate Kornack, I think. Look at JR practicing his memory. I mean, sometimes it works, but yeah, it's cool to, to see maps. I like our books that add them into the into the so, novel. I, I will admit, if you're not going to put it in the novel, which I kind of get, I also really like them when they're on the author's website because I actually just finished a book where I pulled up the map on the on the websites as I was reading. So, that was fun. But speaking of books, if your characters met you in a dark alley, what would they think of of you? How do you think you'd fare if they knew who you were? Oh, I am so dead. <laughs> like in the thing in the woods interview, I said they'd all want to beat the crap out of me, probably even Amber even though she gets a quality boyfriend out of it. In this world... Those are very hard to come by. Trust me, I know. In this world, everybody has reason to hate me. Well, let's see. Grendel, first lord of the Northlands, ruler of the known world. Let's see. His whole family got killed when he was 15. He's been living by the gun ever since. And then his wife and son, one of his sons, die of cholera when he's in his mid-20s or 30s. Let's see, Andrew, his whole town is killed or enslaved by the Flesh Eaters. Can't get into the specifics for um, spoiler reasons. See, so, Catalina Merrill is one of Grendel's concubines who does not want to be there. She's not going to be happy with me. Andrew's love interest, Alyssa Carson, you know, another you know, murdered family situation. She's not going to be happy with me. See, Alonzo Merrill, the rebel chieftain, he's not going to be happy with me. So did you just, like, create a bunch of people that you you're like, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to make you miserable, too. No, I, that wasn't the plan. But, you know, 
this is, as I said, it's a dark tower meets Game of Thrones. This is not a pleasant world to live in, even if you're on the top of the heap. So, okay. uh, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing that um, that means you wouldn't want to move to this world. No. Like, have you seen that movie Synchronic with the actor who played Falcon? No, I have not. Uh, he's like a police officer whose partner's daughter get takes some drug that sends her traveling through time. So he takes the drug and travels back to find her. At one point, he has to pretend to be the slave of a Confederate officer. He pops back to the present day and just yells, the past sucks. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. I'm going to get that uh, movie name from you, and uh, I might have to check that out this weekend. Yeah, so I mean, even if you're not a group that's historically been mistreated, you're still going to cut yourself and have to amputate your arm. Yeah, that sucks. Or, you know, you have something you know, that could be easily treated in our world that they'll never even figure out what's happening on, they just die. Like, I had an idea for a King Arthur story that kind of pokes fun at, like, the medieval tradition of, like, the nobles and the warriors having big meat feasts that King Arthur is dying of colon cancer. Interesting. That does sound painful. Well, <laughs> they wouldn't know what it was. They know he's getting skinnier and jaundiced and there's blood in the bathroom, but the they wouldn't know what cancer was, at least not that kind. Yeah. So, moving past things that suck like cancer do you have a favorite character archetype probably the sorcerer because i mean imagine if you could become like a full-on like superhero type just by reading books i'd be really good at that if Read doc books. had magic she would do should do bad things and they take it away from her because she's not mature enough for that i would not do bad things i do glorious things there's a difference it's a matter of degrees, Doc. It's a matter of perspective. No degrees needed. <laughs> All right. Moving right along. <laughs> so were there any cool scenes that got cut from um, Battle of the for the Wastelands that would make an interesting story for our listeners? Uh, typically, I don't cut whole scenes. I just nip here words here and there like that. You don't really need most of the time or being you don't really need most of the time and you have a whole manuscript you might cut several thousand words by the time you're done um there's one scene in um serpent sword i had to um make telling not showing like a scene where someone is taken off a cross where they're still alive because that would just take up too much time and but there is one scene from battle for the wastelands that i wrote after i'd read a bunch of books on the gulf war where Grendel is visiting some local dignitaries and having a Saudi Arabian style feast involving like big heaps of like sheep parts and like heaps of rice with butter and stuff that didn't really fit well in the manuscript. It's basically George R. R. Martin, you know, six page descriptions of every meal. So it's on my sub stack premium content. If anyone wants to see it. 
So if anyone doesn't know, Substack offers options that are very much like Patreon. So if there's authors you want to support and they have those, that is a way to do it. So, you know, just check it out. The links will be in the show notes. Um, was there anything about the universe that, that you haven't already told us that, you know, would help us sort of understand this world a little better? Well, um, I think the more we get into areas that are more technologically advanced, it's going to get more into diesel punk. Like one of the earliest movies I saw in theaters was The Rocketeer. Great movie. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to figure a way to work in, you know, jet, you know, rocket pack commandos and Tesla weapons into okay. this world somehow. But that because in the in the Grendel's realm, it's established that electricity is something that's relatively new. So they would not be able to make Tesla weapons. Rocket packs might work. If you've got in, you know fuels for internal combustion engine, if you make one small and maneuverable enough, you could conceivably have rocket packs. So they tried that in the 50s, the rocket packs. I've seen one at the Fort Eustis, uh, Fort Useless Transportation Museum. Uh, the issue becomes the gas tank, it burns fuel so quickly that the return on investment for carrying that much weight to that how much airtime you'd get just isn't there. Like they could never make it viable in that respect. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I might kind of deconstruct the the whole rocket pack thing that if you're having dudes like leapfrogging in the air on rockets, then you can shoot them down easily with rifles. And what you said earlier, it's, you know, not being, you know, very efficient. So it might be something like a trench warfare line breaker, you know, just hop over the no man's land and drop in among them. You would yeah. do it at sh relatively short distances. But then you have the same problem that you would have with flamethrowers. If you shoot the, uh, the tank with the fuel, kaboom. So that it makes that it makes them, um, it makes them at risk. Now you could use it as shock troops, I guess, and then while they're doing that and distracting, the main force can you know rush the no man's land. So that, otherwise, you have a whole army of people that are explodable. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. These be shock troops or specialists, right? Not could, something for mass employment. I could see it being carried around on a on a truck, and then you know jump into the air, you get the height to scan the area for like cartography type purposes too, for reconnaissance. Yeah, but this, yeah, but in this world we have dirigibles though. They can do that just as well. Okay. Dirigibles okay. are amazing. You just like the word. So I we do. know. Yeah, dirigibles can linger. Rocket, sorry, loiter. Rocket pack guy, less so. Fair. Um, you know, hop up with an M16 or a, or a grenade launcher, and that can make give someone a real bad day. You can reach out and touch somebody. Um, so we all we know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So other than dirigibles and some you know prehistoric levels of weaponry uh, in the form of early firearms, what can we expect from this universe? Okay, so I'm thinking the the that all my, a lot of my research has gone into like late civil war, Franco-Prussian war, early world war one. You could probably even get into world war two because this is something that's not well known, but the German supply train was still on horses in world war two. It was. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like if you read about there's you know required reading for everybody wages of destruction about the German economy. 
they kept getting lucky early on. Like the invasion of France is logistically completely insane. They just were lucky that to win it. And then they could just steal everything from France. It wasn't nailed down. So what I just heard was France is really, really bad at military. Um, the French high command was, they just didn't have really much of imagination at the time. Well, you know, everybody has their problems. See, I can be polite. Yeah, because like the Germans, they move everything on trains. Then to get everything to the to the field formations, they had to put everything on horses because they didn't have any trucks. Roads weren't that great either back then. Or at least they didn't have enough trucks. Like the only um, fully mechanized supply train was ours. My understanding from some people I know is that uh, they really just still aren't great at the roads. But they could be a biased individual. Yeah, so, so basically expect roughly Civil War to World War, early, maybe early World War II level of technologies, depending on what survived and what you can jury rig. So don't so expect fighter planes. Tech, tanks? Tanks? Uh, there are tanks because there's a, there's a sort of flashback to the, what's called the Battle of the Iron Horse, where somebody managed to get what's hinted as an M1 Abrams functioning again, that is drive it into a Napoleonic line, just blazing away with the machine guns on top and firing with a main cannon. Well, that's so I just for all the tankers that listen, and I know we've got at least one, if you need to pause this and go have a moment in your bunk, we understand. <laughs> Just saying. And if they wanted to read that scene, which uh, where would they find that? Is that in Battle for the Wastelands? Is it in the, the prequel? The actual, the actual flashback to the Iron Horse is in Serpent Sword, but Grendel's throne in his capital is made out of pieces of the Iron Horse. There you go, people. Just so this like, is the um, universe. For just like Aegon the Conqueror in Game of Thrones is made out of the swords of his enemies. Okay. Well, I have a moment. Positively, have got to wave it in your enemies' faces. Absolutely, this is the way, Doc. While I have a moment, you're going to ask question 34. All right, I'm just I'm going to need a moment to think about that. So you're a tanker? No, I was a grunt. No, he he was a tanker though. No, I liked walking, and I was I was on like mechanized, so I was on the strikers. Uh, striker wikers. Got it. A striker might be more dangerous because the, the Iron Horse was big, but it was kind of slow moving. So eventually just aim enough Civil War cannon at it. But a striker would be quick. I don't know how quick strikers move. I, they they I, can move. Okay, because the only one I know of that moved ever quickly was the one that got accidentally found in military housing. That's another story. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a fun day. Not for me, but um, for somebody else. Luckily, it wasn't our brigade uh, or our unit. Um, but if of all the tech you've invented for this universe, is there anything that you did you invent tech that you would want to keep? Basically, like, uh, a, feel like having a dirigible that's the cross between a, a floating ocean liner and. Um, an eight an A ten warthog would be something to show off, but it's keeping it would be um and where am I gonna put the thing? I live in a bachelor cube. Well, that's your problem. You can figure it out if properly motivated. Uh rock I haven't I, I have not actually introduced rocket packs yet. That's something that'll come in maybe four, books four and five. A okay. rocket pack 
the rocket pack could be cool. Just have to wait to keep it fueled and, you know, not likely to accidentally blow up my apartment. Oh, Blowing up your apartment would be bad. And so for those of you who are listening and not watching, I flashed on the screen. The Striker has a top speed in excess of 60 miles per hour, range of 300 on roughly 53 gallons of uh, fuel. So, yes, fast you as well as on a modern you know battlefield. Because all army vehicles use JP-8. Well, the, the, the real issue is that that's based on not having a whole lot of roads. Because, you know, when you're driving off terrain, that, that has a way of slowing things down. So, you have a way of slowing things down. Yeah, so, yeah, so deploying some strikers against a Civil War army would be more dangerous than one M1 because it'd be, they'd have to re keep reor reorienting their guns to actually yes. hit the darn thing, and the rifles probably couldn't penetrate it. No, no I can't imagine... A rifle like the mini ball isn't going to make it through. No, those things are specifically designed for shit like that. So, although there are landmines, so in, in one scene in Serpent Sword, they have bouncing Bettys. Nice. I mean, it's not for the, the people on the receiving end, but nice. One of, the, um, one of the soldiers refers to as bouncing bastards. I mean, it works. So, do you, did you create any creatures or aliens for this series? Well, the, in the first chapter of Battle for the Wastelands, it starts out with um, Andrew hunting something called a ripper. Imagine like a wolf-headed, wolf-pelt chimp that hunts in pairs. I'm having trouble picturing that, but go on. Something like or something that's got longer forelegs and short, shorter back legs has the color the fur and coloration the head of a wolf so that's just a standard post-apocalyptic mutant creature um there's dinosaurs which author christine morgan reviewed um battle of the wastelands and son of grendel for amazon and in her blog and she's like dinosaurs there's no reason to, for them to be there but who cares because dinosaurs absolutely i mean dinosaurs are kind of cool we actually are, are setting up an interview with a guy just because he had a picture of a dinosaur on his cover, and that's all I needed. And and it wasn't Chuck Tingle. It was not Chuck Tingle. But oh boy, see, see, let's see if you get Chuck Tingle. That would be a hoot. I'm I not convinced that's not an AI writing guy. To get the real Chuck Tingle. I, I am absolutely convinced it's like some sort of chatbot type feature that's writing these books. Yeah. And it doesn't look like they make any money, but they come out really, really quickly with topical and politically timely commentary in the titles. Yeah, we have created Skynet and he's a pervert. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was my thought too. Anyway. So <laughs> Doc asked the next question because <laughs> Okay. So um if you were to create a magical or fantastical or alien creature, how would you go about it? Would you uh, let, you know, the needs of the situation or just whimsy, you know, or, you know, the stress from teaching all those crazy kids let you guide you into the creation of a new species? I'm not really sure. I don't know. You, so you haven't done it yet, and you'll let us know after you do. 
Yeah, because um, Thing in the Woods, I mean, is a, the, the Thing in the Woods is a Lovecraft monster. The Atlanta Incursion had the Greys. They were just bigger. Uh-huh. Out of the Wastelands, you know, we have dinosaurs, pterodactyls, um, wolf head things. Oh. Um, in the One of Grendel's subordinate armies is called the Blood Alchemy Host. They're basically a mutant breeding cult. Oh, my. Yeah, so... We so see a lot more of them in Serpent Sword than we do in um, Battle in the first book. So I probably should get to it with um JR, I don't think Marines are mutants. Oh, I do have a um a hint uh, in Battle for Wastelands, there is a hint, there is a su surviving civilization descended from the US Marine Corps. Crowns, like, um, do they eat crowns? Gold gold ingots with the globe and eagle and anchor on them. Oh, but do they eat crowns? Like the seriously, um, inquiring minds want to know. I now that I'm more familiar with the um, eating crayons jokes, I might put those in there. But the main joke I was going to put in is Jody jokes. Those are valid. I mean, they are universal, just like Jody. So clearly, the interview is winding down. But before we wrap this up was there anything about battle for the wastelands a steampunk military fantasy uh that you wanted to tell us uh well, you mentioned earlier but the second book just released which is serpent sword uh do you have release date for the third no because i need to finish it that helps oh! before you publish because uh, i'm kind of in the it's been about a month since serpent sword has come out and i have really done very little writing so i'm thinking the plan now is actually do the third thing in the woods book it's called the walking worm and then switch to the third Battle for the Wastelands book, which tended to be titled Escape. Okay. So um, I need to, you know, just get to it. Whatever it is I get to, because the thing with independent writing is you want to make a living churn and burn. Yeah, and you got a day job, you know. You got to teach those young minds and I mean, bend them to the wheel of science fiction. Hey, I'm the sponsor of my school's sci-fi club, so um, nice. That's what we do, dude. The kids have it so much easier being a geek these days than when I was a geek kid. They do. They it's do. Kind of jealous, but then so, I remember that they have to live within this era with social media, and I'm better. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Read the book iGen. It's about like how social media is messing with these kids' heads. I believe it. So this is the part of the interview, dear listener, where we remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. Uh, and in addition to writing the views, reviews on BookBub, Barnes & Noble, all the places uh, on Amazon and Goodreads, you should really tell your friend, tell 10 friends that this book exists. It's really good and they should buy it too. Do your part. Um, so with that being said, Matthew, uh, how can listeners and viewers find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Well, I have a Matthew W. Quinn substack, but it's Quinn with only one N and not two because it got too long for a substack. I'm also at Matthew W. Quinn on Twitter, although I'm ne I need to get stay off Twitter for the sake of my own sanity. Yeah, I think everybody does. And just, there's ma the Matthew W. Quinn page on Amazon. That's where you can find the books to buy. Okay. And I'm a regular participant in the film podcast, Myopia Movies, where we watch childhood movies, see if they're still good. 
Like oh. one of the recent episodes I'm on is Leviathan. You always ever see that? No, I didn't. No. Is it good? One of the late 1980s, early 1990s underwater horror films. Abyss okay. was the Oscar nominated one. And Leviathan is kind of the dumb, fun one. And the Deep Star Six, from what I remember, just sucked. Okay. So this is the part, dear listener, where you remind we remind you where you can find us. So we are on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We really do answer those. And we've actually got some, uh, some interesting and exciting episodes coming up. Uh, coordinating them is going to be interesting, but should be fun. We have a Facebook group where all the reason you don't have a life, JR. Because I make you do all the work. We're going to talk about the future of guns. We're going to talk about writing realistic violence and science fiction and fantasy. Like, this is nerddom central right here, Doc. I know, but I make you do all the hard work. We've got HEMA experts for the fantasy stuff. I even found a guy that does HEMA, which is historic African martial arts. Oh. Uh, it should be interesting. I just got to see if his wife, because he actually is in Africa and... Internet reliability is a thing, so we're going to see if he can he can hook something up in a cafe for this interview. Um, but anyway, so you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have a Facebook page. I don't know if we have enough. Um, likes I don't and know. Follows. I will do it. Just leave me alone. I need more time off work. Okay, okay. So bug doc and maybe we'll get a dedicated URL there. We have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section it's for the podcast. I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Never surrender. Wait, you didn't. You changed the line. Well, apparently people thought we had an alcohol problem, so I try to mix it up now. I don't have an alcohol problem. I have a lack of sleep problem. Yes, but we my, make jokes about it. Friends, so he can mimic Elmo's voice really well. He's like, Elmo doesn't have a drinking problem. Elmo can <laughs> stop drinking anytime he wants. Oh, my God. That is awesome. All right, Doc, you ready to bring it home? Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. We are the Blasters and Blades podcast. We will be back next week loving all things about nerdum, geekdom, torturing JR, picking on the absentee Nick Garber. One day he will show up or he won't. It anybody's guess on whether or not he is still alive <laughs> well on that note he does have a terminal case of the man flu so uh miss stabby says it's touch and go right now he's got the sniffles so who by knows? touch and go right now you mean her patience with him is touch and go right now because i mean I'm we don't call her miss stabby for there's nothing. a reason women i understand women turning away from men man flu is one of them so, I'm just saying we call her Miss Stabby for a reason. And on that happy call note. We Miss Stabby for a reason because she is amazing and she always hits her mark. <laughs> he fell into the knife 27 times, officer. 
On that note, Matthew, thank you for coming by. You're welcome. Thank <laughs> you for hosting. This was fun. It was. All right. We will see you next time, people.